Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. So Sadie, thank you for joining us this afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So um, I think... I think the best way to get started would be to have you just introduce yourself and your business to our listeners. I'm Sadie Sheffer. I am the founder and CEO of Bread Seriously, which is a gluten-free and vegan sourdough bread company based in Berkeley, California. Awesome. And you've, have, you, is, uh, have you been doing this for a while or is this brand new? Yeah, so I started Bread Seriously out of my apartment in August 2011. Uh, so been doing it quite here. a while. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, and you're kind of legendary from what I understand. Ah, oh, shucks. I know. Isn't that something? Yeah, it's- I. Yeah, I have a. Um, I have a daughter who went to UCSF Medical School. Um, and she did her residency in Oakland, and I told her that I was going to be interviewing you, and she was all excited. I love that. Isn't that funny? Yeah. It's a small world, isn't it? Always. Yeah. Yeah. So you started making bread in your house. This is how this started. So I started, it starts before that. Um, oh, okay. I moved, I, I uh, dropped out of college and moved to San Francisco to follow my college crush. And when I got here, it didn't work out. Uh Uh-huh. But I knew that he was gluten intolerant. So I figured if I could learn to bake things that he could eat, maybe it would work out down the line. Right. (laughs) So So, I learned to be a gluten-free baker. Um, Baked every day, literally every day for 10 months. And then... It finally worked out, which was great. Um, so I got into bread um, mm. a little after Jesse and I got together, and I was really into fermentation. I worked at the farmer's market. I was always fermenting produce, and I mm. wanted to try fermenting bread dough. Um, but right around the time I was about to start a sourdough, I found out that I was also gluten intolerant. Oh. So I, I had to veer toward the gluten-free route um, and fell in love with that. That's awesome. And I say that because I, too, have over the years become um, gluten intolerant. And I am, you know, I, I look at bread because I miss bread, right? I When I was growing up, I spent some time in, in um, France. And so I sort of developed that, you know, I don't know, habit of having really good French bread, right? And then I couldn't eat it anymore. So, wow. So sourdough. Um, so so you develop um, recipes out of this, I take it, and then somehow decided you're going to do this professionally. Yeah. I mean, I it was a very impulsive decision. So I decided I would do it I mean, professionally is a strong mm-hmm. word for what I decided. Oh, I decided okay, I would yeah. sell bread to friends out of my apartment uh-huh. um, and pretty immediately started having strangers asking about buying my bread and mm. then started delivering bread on my bicycle all over San Francisco and then all over Oakland and Berkeley um, and 
No wonder you eventually legendary. realized I was onto something and took a business class to figure out how to how to actually do this. Awesome. So when did you when was that? That was beginning of 2012, so 2012. not long after launching. Okay. All right, yeah, not long. Um and and so did you find a place that um with, that could be your um where you would do your baking? <laughs> Um, yes. So moved out of my apartment kitchen in March or April of 2012. We're now on our eighth kitchen. Oh my goodness. See, I, a lot of moving. A can of worms we just opened. So yeah, tell us about this particular can of worms. Yeah. So the first one was an off hours supper club. So we would bake at like six in the morning and they were only open on weekends. So um, it was super flexible, but they had just two normal, you know, I was cooking in like the oven below a range. So not a bread Mm. oven or anything. Um, And it was still pretty small. So outgrew that in about two months, moved to a catering kitchen. That one got shut down. It was like a nine month pilot program. And so at the end of nine months, moved to another catering company. Uh, kitchen which got purchased and they kicked out all the tenants no no so then I moved to another catering kitchen and then I found a co-packer so uh-huh. hired another company to bake our products and that was the first time we were in a gluten-free kitchen mm. which was a big deal yeah I've uh, stayed there for a little over three years and then we decided to bake the bread ourselves again uh-huh. so we moved into a gluten-free cracker kitchen mm-hmm. in Berkeley and then another kitchen opened up in the building. So we got that. So it was the first time we had our very own kitchen. And then a second unit opened up. So now we have two units in this building. Oh, my goodness. What a saga. Yeah. I yeah. don't know if that was eight or seven, but it's yeah, been many kitchens. Many kitchens. Yeah. You know, I, I think for gluten-free people, um, businesses in particular, this where you do this is a really hard question, right? It seems like an easy question, but it's not because you don't have a lot of options usually, right? Yeah, it's interesting right now with COVID because a lot of options are opening up, which oh, is I bet. You know, yeah. hard to see other businesses mm-hmm. not making it. Yeah. Um, but certainly if you're looking for like, it's not super hard to find a commissary kitchen or a catering kitchen, but anytime you have like constraints, like it has to have has to be gluten-free or it cannot have tree nuts in it or anything like that. Your options just go to zero. Right. Exactly. It's the gluten-free thing that is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So you went through this whole saga and, and tell me about your products. Like, like how has that evolved over time? Hmm, That's a good question. Um, In the beginning, I was just making it up as I went along. So every week I would tweak the recipe a little bit. Um, and sort of dial it in. And also mm-hmm. for about the first year, I was determined to never repeat a flavor, which Ooh. was a whole adventure in itself. That's so interesting. And you were doing this every just, day. No, once a week, once a week. Once a week. But I did okay. three flavors yeah. a week. So it still added Whoa. up. And by the end, I was like desperate for new flavor ideas. So right. I would just work the farmer's market and like scan for any bit of produce that I hadn't used yet and just combine wacky things in the bread. Wow. 
um, eventually realize that really what customers want is plain white. They want bread. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so that's yeah. what we make. That's our, our sort of, that's our best selling item. Uh -huh. Um, and then we have, uh, two other flavors of the loaves. So we have a sweet onion mm -hmm. and we have a seeded, um, mm -hmm. and I'm working on developing another one right now, which is super nice. Fun. Nice. We've got some sandwich rolls, which are the only product without rice flour and without any gums in it. So that's mm. a super cool product. Nice. We've got dinner rolls, and then we've got a jumbo food service loaf. Nice. Nice. So you're pretty, um, I don't know, I, I'm going to use the word like classical product line, right? Um, that, 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 you know, sticking to the bread and not doing a whole lot of other things. That makes yeah, sense. we did a whole bunch of other stuff in the beginning. So, uh -huh. you know, it was the rotating flavors. And then I always made a rotating flavor of muffin. And then we made chocolate chip cookies. And uh, none of it really yeah, yeah. made sense. So uh -huh. as the brand sort of emerged, mm -hmm. like, I'm thinking like a sculpture. Like, I was sort of right. looking at it. And then suddenly I was like, oh, that's the brand. The brand was sourdough. Right. Um, it was not muffins. It was not cookies. Um, and right. that was a really powerful move for me to sort of understand what bread seriously really was because mm -hmm. um, I I knew nothing about business I was 22 right <laughs> like, right oh, I like cooking bread I, yeah I like yeah. cookies yeah interesting yeah and and you know the Bay Area has this has this I don't know what it is um mythology around sourdough almost like mythology is a good word for it yeah I yeah because it's it's like there's this association between um, the Bay Area and sourdough, and where does that come from? Do you uh, know? You know, nobody really knows. Where nobody it comes knows. From. I think okay, it comes perfect. from marketing. Uh, marketing, yeah. You know, sourdough is sourdough is not was not developed in San Francisco. No. Um, it is made everywhere. It is made on every continent. Um, it's been made for thousands of years. Um, but San Francisco sourdough has the mystique that others don't. Yeah. And that is anyone's guess. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So we have Madison there, here. I'm in Madison, Wisconsin. We have Madison sourdough has been here for a very long time. And they, they too um, are pretty, they have more types of, of, wheat and they've got and they do wheat too they're not gluten-free right um and then they do like heirloom grains and stuff and heirloom wheat but they too are are pretty um at least with their breads they're they're really pretty purists you know yeah nice. yeah it's nice and it's a wonderful business and they 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 also do a lot of supplying restaurants like the best restaurants in Madison. The chefs will tell me like, why would I bake my own bread when I can get that bread wholesale from them? So <laughs> yeah. So do you wholesale too? Yeah. Um. About well, it used to be a much bigger fraction of our sales were wholesale. That's mm -hmm. changed with COVID. But we sell in grocery stores in the refrigerator section. Oh, interesting. So it's refrigerated. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. And and you and most of your products are right are rice flour. We use organic rice flour, organic millet, organic sorghum, and arrowroot. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, you know I haven't had your bread, but my daughter says that um, 
you know, a lot of gluten-free breads can be really awful, honestly. They don't really have the mouthfeel of bread and they don't taste like, you know, it, the whole experience of eating them isn't like bread. And she said, that's not true about yours. Yeah, I love yay. hearing that. Yeah. I mean, so that must have taken a lot of work to do, right? Both sourdough. Definitely. And yeah, make it, it was probably... Way two or three years of running bread seriously before we got the recipe dialed in. And I mean, we still have to tweak it here and there, mostly tweaking like water temperatures and Mm -hmm. oven programs and things like that. Right. Yeah. Right. And are you now in, in like big bread ovens or. Yeah, we have uh, a double rack oven, which we affectionately call the walk-in oven. You're not supposed to walk into it. Uh-huh. Um, but it's it's huge, so you can wheel a double speed rack right into it. We can wow. fit 200 loaves at a time. And we have our beloved combi oven, um, right. which can fit 100 loaves. And it's uh, more compact and more – that's my favorite oven. It's my, mm. my, my favorite child there. Yeah, combi ovens sort of came out of nowhere, and now they're everywhere. I Yeah, I don't know too much about them. I, I've never worked in a kitchen that had one. Um, and the only thing I've ever made in it is bread, you know, much right. as I would love to cook everything in it. We are in a very restricted kitchen in that we're certified gluten-free, certified vegan, and certified kosher. Um, right. So <laughs> there are very limited ingredients that can go into that oven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the the combi oven thing I for um, institutional foods like like schools and places is where I've seen this. Like everybody wants their products. They'll take a product if they can cook it in the combi oven. <laughs> if they can't cook it that way, nope, no way. We're not doing it. So yeah, and this is only I don't know last couple of years that I've been hearing this. So. That's interesting. So do you also, so are you a bakery now where people can come in and, you know, buy bread and can they sit down and have coffee or is it just a bakery? It's just a bakery, wholesale Ah, bakery. So we were going to open a storefront at the end of this year and Uh that is now indefinitely postponed. Right. Um, So we were going to operate more of a pop-up model where we um, section off the back of our bakery, which opens to the street. Uh-huh. Uh, or to the sidewalk um, and do, you know, open up on Fridays and Saturdays for toast and coffee and pastries and things like that. So it was a big undertaking um, with new product development and, you know, interior design and figuring out how to safely segregate the spaces so that we could still be a certified gluten-free, certified kosher kitchen on one side of, you know, a window and open to the public on the other side. Um, Then COVID hit and uh, it was just felt really lucky that our timeline was post, was was after March for opening the storefront. So, um, you know, we didn't lose like investment in this. And it was um, just very clear that this was like an extremely, not only financially risky, but health or safety risk to, to try to open a storefront. So that is tabled for now. Right. Right. So a hundred percent wholesale. Were you always a hundred percent wholesale? I mean, beyond the uh, we're not a hundred percent wholesale. We have our uh, online sales. So oh, okay, we, yeah, that's about half our business um, is shipping. <laughs> yeah, that's since, amazing. Since 
Since March, it's half our business. It Since was not March. before. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's so. Talk to me about that before go before COVID first. So so before COVID, how much of your sales were online? A quarter. A quarter. And how long have you been selling online? Um, I want to say since 2014. I don't so quite, quite a remember. while. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So you were early to it because I, I, you know, I of all the things I'm sitting here thinking, would I think of like pre-COVID now, would I think of, gee, I want some bread. I'm going to go online. Ah, you know, so somehow <laughs> you got over that barrier with people. Definitely. You know, I have an amazing marketing team, so it's all them. Yeah. <laughs> it's not me who did that. Yeah, no, seriously. And well, and I suspect too, you know, for people who want, want, you know, need things to be gluten-free and they want it to be vegan, there aren't going to be a lot of options either. And you have a good product and people find it, they're probably so ecstatic to find something that they will buy over and over. Absolutely. Yeah. We have really loyal customers and, you know, I think you sort of said this, but access to food that is free of common allergens is not easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's not easy. And you're reading labels and yeah. Wondering if you can really trust what they're saying. Cause yeah, I mean, thank goodness I'm not a celiac, so it's not like I will end up in the hospital or something, but it's still, you know, a problem, right? So people find something that they like and that is um, that they feel really good about, then they'll stick with it. So, all right. So a quarter of your business, and then we ha- and the rest of it pre-COVID was in retail stores and restaurants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh huh. And do you have little trucks running around, or do you sell through a distributor? Uh, neither. We ship with UPS and FedEx. Interesting. Okay. And do you have to, and refrigerated? Um, so it's a nice product because it is perishable, but it's not a potentially hazardous food. So we ship it ambient and it's refrigerated in the store. Interesting. Okay. And they, they refrigerate in the store just to get longer shelf life, I'm assuming. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have to be within, I don't know, one day shipping or something or do you ship all Two over? Two day shipping. Yeah. Two day so shipping. we're very limited in what wholesale stores we can um, sell to. And we try to do, I would say 90% of our stores are within one day shipping range. Yeah. Um, that so. makes sense. Yeah, that's a that's a yeah. future hurdle to overcome. Right. There's always hurdles, right? It's a process of owning a business and growing a process business. Process and a puzzle. And a puzzle, yeah. Yeah, it's great. But it's fun. So, okay, so then COVID hits, and what happened to your business? Um, we immediately had a huge burst of online sales um, and a huge burst of wholesale as grocery stores were getting swamped Um, and simultaneously, you know, our response team was saying we need to dial back our capacity because when we are too busy, it's easy to take shortcuts and the shortcuts that will be taken will, we're like avoiding um, or skipping social distancing. Yeah, Um, Yeah. So we wanted to make sure we were prioritizing safety over profit and so we dialed back our capacity, even though our sales were through the roof. Um, yeah. So it was a really interesting navigation, totally. I guess, back in March. Um, but 
I'm a, a big proponent of values aligned leadership and mm-hmm. safety. Um, so our values are to serve, serve, nourish, and include. And our company culture is uh, communication, respect, teamwork, and safety. Mm-hmm. Um, so safety is like, you know, what is this now? Our top seven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have our values and our culture, and we yep. cannot we cannot take shortcuts when it comes to any of those. So mm-hmm. safety was key. Yeah. So did you have to um, to cut back your workforce to to get to social? No, we've retained every single employee. That's um, awesome. But we made changes to workstations. We made changes to scheduling, mm-hmm. and we lowered the capacity so that people can take their time. You know, if a station is occupied, they don't have to cram in. They can wait. Right. They can take a break. Um, yeah. Yeah. So how much capacity did you lose as a result of that? Ultimately, we didn't lose any. Um, Mm -hmm. So we cut back extremely conservatively. And then um, our team is amazing. So they optimized everything that they were doing and came up with more capacity, which is great. Yeah. Um, And then we are going through this cycle again. So we just cut our capacity back by maybe 25%, 40%, something like that. Right. Um, And now we're dialing it back up um, Mm -hmm. because we just completely changed our scheduling. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, this has been such a hard adjustment for food businesses, right? Manufacturers of food, because everybody wants to, um, you know, every, I think uh, everybody is not probably accurate, but most people who own food companies really do want this environment to be safe for their employees. And it's been a bit of a struggle to figure out exactly you know, what, how we can modify our work process in order to make it safe, right? And to uh, respect social distancing. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think everyone is not accurate <laughs> and yeah. I like to think it's accurate for most small businesses. Yeah. Um, but there's no playbook and there's really no institutional guidance. Um, you know, even reading the CDC website, Right. You know, the advice is all how to stay in business during COVID. It's not how to protect your workers during COVID. Right, right, right. No, that has been the mantra from Washington since the beginning, right? So yeah. Um, so it's kind of left the food industry without guidance, as you said, and then everybody's kind of winging it, right? And th- the truth is everybody's process is different and your layout is different your constraints are different right so it is kind of an individualized exercise right definitely and your access to capital is different you know it's expensive to change your line or change your layout and I think you know we're all seeing kind of the the EIDL program and the PPP program were kind of messy and maybe some of the discrimination that happened with those programs is getting some airtime right now, but you know, not everyone had access to those programs. Right, right. No, absolutely. And it wasn't, and there was a lot of ambiguity around those too. Like we didn't necessarily, <laughs> right? And the, it was like changing, the goalposts were changing, the rules were changing. Oh, they're, they're still, they are still changing. They're still changing. <laughs> there you go. Yes, and they may change yeah. again, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting to submit my application for loan forgiveness, but my bank won't take applications because the rules keep changing. Oh, interesting. Um, so yeah. it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> no fascinating. idea what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, it is fascinating. Um, yeah, but 
the, but the combination of your team doing all the amazing work they're doing and the PPP and the fact that you are in a category that, that people are, you know, especially initially, we're just like kind of panicking about, um, means that, yeah, you're, you're a business, I would imagine, that is um, not suffering as much as others are in this situation. Not as much. Yeah, we did just shut down for three weeks because we had a COVID case at work. Yeah. Um, And so we made the decision in early March or in late March to completely shut down and quarantine the whole team if someone got sick Uh um, because we have a goal of zero community spread. Uh Um, So that was, you know, we're just leaning. I'm not usually a conservative decision maker, but with yeah. anything safety related, it's I go like full conservative mode. Mm-hmm. Um, so we shut down for three weeks, which I'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around what the impact of that is, but yeah. it is looking like a five or maybe six figure expense, um, mm-hmm. which is which is um, a, a new thing for me. So that's. That's what we allocated all of our PPP funds toward, uh-huh. and I assume we will burn through them <laughs> yeah, this year. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, and God, cross our fingers that you don't have to do it again. That I mean, that's um, yeah. yeah, right. I mean, I that's think the, the, thing that the is- best thing that we did was plan to do it, um, nice. and so. Instead of crossing our fingers that it won't happen again, we're going right. to plan for it to happen again. And we're going to, like, the the pre-planning that we did meant that there was no stress in actually making the decision to shut down. Nice. It's one of the easiest decisions to make. Um, and so I highly recommend that. Okay. So when, when this pre-planning, what did you do? Like, we what kinds of had, things did you have in So we line? assembled a response team. Um, uh-huh. And this was very largely driven by um, Jesse, who is on our team and uh, it was four, uh, six of us maybe, um, and we talked through basically how to make decisions in high stress situations. So mm. we we wrote out a bunch of scenarios. You know, employee is exposed to someone who's exposed to someone who has symptoms. You know, right, what right, would we right. do in this case? Right. Employee is confirmed positive what we do we do mm-hmm. in this case and everything in between um so that we have a chart now we agreed you know it's a really stressful meeting to write oh, out these course. decisions but once we made them they were just ready to plug and play and so as we've had situations we look up the chart we say this is what we have to do maybe we send an employee home to quarantine maybe we send the whole team home to quarantine and everything mm-hmm. in between there as well so that's the main thing, but we have a whole suite of documents of like instructions for how to create the virus side that we use to sanitize our surfaces and cleaning schedules where we clean common surfaces every two hours in our whole building, not just in our kitchen. Mm. Um, so we have a whole bunch of tools that we built out. That's awesome. So, so when this happened, you could just deploy it. That's terrific. And now you have it in case you have to do it again, right? Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. And I bet your employees have really, really appreciated how you've responded. Yeah, I think people feel really secure at work because we've 
put in a ton of thought and effort into safety and we ask for feedback constantly. So we try to have a culture of, of open feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been great because we can get the whole team's ideas on board. Right. Um, and, you know, we're also committed to paying people when we, when we ask them to quarantine. So I think mm, nice. <laughs> that goes yeah. a long way a in long the food way. industry, especially. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, yeah, that's, that's the do the right thing thing. Right. Um, yeah. So, so, um, the result of all this is you're getting through this and your online business is now 50% of what you do. So was this existing customers or are there new people finding you or do you, do you know? Some of both. I think a, a large fraction of our local Bay Area customers switched from buying in-store to buying online. Mm. So we've definitely seen a big and sustained spike in local mm-hmm. online sales. Um, but there's definitely also new customers finding us. Interesting. Yeah. So um, I've been hearing a lot of um, that retailers are sort of narrow. They're retailers and the big food manufacturers are saying, you know what, we were selling too many SKUs. They call it SKU rationalization. We're going to get rid of stuff. And, and retailers are kind of like you. They're, they're, they're not saying, you know, hoping that we don't have another shutdown or something. They're kind of planning for it. Um, so, which kind of says a lot here. Um, (laughs) um, so they're planning that they're going to go, we're going to go into that, that mode again. And they are saying, you know, we had all these out of stocks, so we're going to focus on some key items. And, um, so that has actually been, um, a problem for small brands of unique products, right? Because they get, they get taken out in a situation like this. Um, is that happening to you or are you, you um, hanging in there pretty well? That has not happened to us. I mean, we definitely outperform the category as the lingo goes. So I'm not worried about that. Um, But not all of our accounts carry all of our products anyway. So, uh, you know, if an an account drops a SKU here and there, they're Mm -hmm. probably dropping the SKUs that... that are our lower performers anyway, um, right. which is helpful on the manufacturing end. Yeah, nice. Yeah, no, and I think bread, I mean, as a category, that was one of the categories where people went into panic mode about it and people and the big the big brands were having a trouble keeping up. So it created even more of an opportunity for folks like you. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet, you know, given all the dietary things and things we've been talking about that once people have your bread, they, they stick with it. Is that your experience? That is. Yeah. There's nothing like loyal customers. It's just amazing. Yeah. We try to be a loyal brand as well. Our customer service is amazing. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, we respond to everybody and we have a delight guarantee on our product. So if anything goes wrong, we will refund it or replace it. Um, so, uh, That's it definitely awesome. helps. It's a two, two way relationship. Yeah. That's awesome. Cause yeah, you're right. It is a two way relationship. And, um, so uh, listening to you, I am hearing, um, sort of a management philosophy and approaches and intentionality that reminds me of Zingerman's. Do you you know Zingerman's? Yeah. 
Um, I wish I knew more about Singermans. I bought all the books and uh-huh. I'm farsighted and the font is too small. Oh no. Room. It's so sad. So I have them all in my library. And you <laughs> can't read office, them. And I can't read them. But I <laughs> I love their ethos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the 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 degree of employee engagement is what is pu- is pushing me there because Zingerman's is just amazing at that. Um, Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Because it seems like that's pretty core to your success over the years. Yeah, our team is like hands down my favorite part of running Bread Seriously, and the like the leadership is like my passion. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's new, you know, it's my passion within the last two years. So this is like a pretty new version of ourselves, I would say, mm-hmm. where the team is so holistic and integral to everything that we do. Right. Um, and it just feels like very unique. And I feel very lucky. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, uh, when I was um, doing the Tara's Way thing, I was in a CEO group and there were some people in that group in my peer group who uh, you know, took a business, like one took his, an electrical contracting firm that was two trucks from his dad and turned it into a gigantic national electrical contractor, like incredible, successful, great leaders. Um, and, you know, he's, he said to me that at some point, Tara, this will become about your role be, will become all about you cultivating your team. Because your team, you're not going to be doing things directly the way you do when you do a startup, right? And it sounds like that transition is what has been going on for you. Definitely. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So building the team and then the, the team takes it forward, right? And, yeah. and inclusion like that is, is hard, right? It's, it's not, um, how to say this? I think it's our culture. Maybe this is because I'm in the Midwest and we're not, I'm not in um, the Bay Area, but our, cult, you know, like business culture expectations, people have a much more hierarchical expectation coming in, even employees, Definitely. right? And I'm, I'm understanding that more, you know, the more I listen and learn about racism in America, the more I see it like linked in with capitalism and that all just like not, you know, we are doing things in a, a very weird way if for a capitalist society. Yeah. Um, centering yeah. people is not very profitable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, and it's how to say this, it's, um, it doesn't, I think there's also this temptation in our culture because we come from this hierarchical mindset, right. To say that, uh, a, a mindset that isn't that way can't be profitable. Like it's this black and white thing when in fact it's a continuum and, and the folks like Ari at, at Zingerman's would argue that they are more profitable because they have this culture, not less. I firmly believe that is true. Yeah. 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 And, and it, it's such a, it's such a wonderful lesson for us because I think, we are all kind of feeling called to, to try to, I don't know, like, so I, I tell people I, I'm old enough um, to remember the um, civil rights movement, um, the first one. Um, I, not, I was not old enough to participate, but I'm old enough to remember it. And what 
you know, I ask myself now, what are we going to do in our businesses to make sure that we don't, we actually make progress this time, right? Like we, we made, maybe we made progress. We did in some ways, but we, we didn't in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. 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 So, so it sounds like your culture is, is something that you've developed in a way that, that can address some of this. Yeah, I think it is. So um, one of the things that's been really transformational t- for our team is about a year ago, we started a leadership book club. Nice. Um, and it's we're still on our first book. We are going oh, through funny. Like every, every single sentence, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but it's been such a game changer for us. Um, and unfortunately, uh, about half our team is uh, our native Spanish speakers. Uh-huh. And so this book is, we're reading Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. And it's uh-huh. only available in English. Oh. Um, so this is uh, kind of an exclusive book club, which is a bummer. <laughs> oh. I wish it were more inclusive. Um, so we're trying to figure out what to do with our Spanish speaking team so yeah. that um, we can share those same learnings Um, so I think we're gonna actually start that next week which I'm really excited about and it'll be more of a discussion group than a reading group Mm -hmm. um but I'm really looking forward to making that more inclusive because I feel like this book has like totally changed the way I lead interesting so what what do you think it's changed um I think that a lot of it was stuff I already knew um Mm -hmm. or stuff that was already part of who I was, like uh, empathy and compassion. And I was very susceptible to other people saying that's not how business is done. Right. And this lead, this book was like a permission slip to say like, right. your way is great. Yeah. Keep doing that. And nice. so I feel like I just, I stepped into that identity more with more conviction. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. I think there's, there, there are different leadership styles, right? Everybody doesn't have the same leadership style. Um, and I, I also am old enough to and have had a, a business career where um, in biz- bigger companies used to do leadership training. I don't think they do it management leadership training. And I think they, they still do it, but not, I don't think they do it to the degree they used to do it. And so I was, I was given the gift of saying, early in my career, like you have the, it's kind of a good thing to think about your leadership style, right? Like it's not, so, that's not a natural thing for people to think, wow, I'm going to think about my leadership style, really, you know? Um, Absolutely. I think there's also um, one of my more recent aha moments was that leadership and management are completely different from each other. Yeah. And that when I promote people, I'm from, I'm trying to promote leaders, not managers. Interesting. Yeah. So, so talk more about that. Like, what do you, what do you think the difference is in your, in your environment? I think for me, management has the connotation of control and, like being fussy about exactly how things get done and being the micromanager Um, and sort of just like, I think there's good parts of management as well and management's super important, but it's sort of the technical side of of having direct reports, um, which is not a passion, right? My passion is leadership. My passion is definitely not management. So on the leadership side, it's, it's, 
there's nothing hierarchical about leadership to me. Anyone can lead, anyone can learn to be a leader, um, no matter, you know, what level they are of an organization, what language they speak, um, which is not to say, like, you have to, uh, or, like, it doesn't matter what hardships you've come from. Like, I definitely want to be sensitive there, mm-hmm. um, sensitive of my privilege. But I do think that leadership is more of a person's identity and that once you can reconcile your own personal values with how you show up in the workplace, it feels like the kind of the magic formula for growing as a leader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so this book club is your, is your, it, your leadership development basically. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Not for, I, not just you, but your team. Yeah. There's about 10 of us in the book club right now. So how many employees do you have? 26. 26. Okay. So is this 10, are, do you, do you have like supervisors and the managers kind of thing or are you pretty flat yeah. as an organization? Um, we're, we're trying to be a little flatter because uh-huh. our operations team branched out quite a bit. Um, so the we're pretty flat except for our operations team, I would say, um, okay. where we have an operations leader and then we have our sort of operations office staff, logistics mm-hmm. coordinator, facilities manager. Um, and you just have uh, a lot of quality staff. Supervisor. Yeah, you just we, send we up We have with a lot staff. of production staff. Yeah. Yeah, so we're... We we try to promote leaders like pretty often in our production team. So we have a production lead, we have a shift lead, we have mm. subject matter experts. Um, and so that's where it's not very flat, but mm-hmm. I love that we're able to basically offer performance-based promotions pretty regularly to keep people growing and, that's and awesome. working toward their own goals. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I, you know, that in a, in an, a manufacturing environment like that, it's such an important thing to keep people engaged with their work, right? That it doesn't feel like, oh my God, I'm going to go here and do the same thing for the next 20 years. Yeah. And I think allowing them to be leaders Mm -hmm. helps that engagement, right? We're not just saying, here's what to do. Here's how to do it. Do Mm -hmm. it every day. Right. There is a lot of room for people to play and to optimize and to ask questions. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So do you do, um, you know, kind of the Zingermans or any, some, the concept of open book management? So I don't really know a lot about that. So yeah. my understanding is that really has to do with sharing the finances out. It does. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like so, what's so amazing at Zingermans is, uh, that, um, even if you like manage the cheese counter within the deli, within you know these, they've got like fifteen businesses now or whatever it is. Like this is a department within one of their businesses, and they get uh, P and L. Um, I think it's weekly on the performance, the financial performance of the cheese of their department. Like it's an amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they execute that right because there's so many there's so there would be a lot of reports to generate I'm trying to figure that out in my head but but the the idea though that that not only we we are empowering our staff to be leaders but we're also empowering them to make these financial to to have that financial lens to what they do 
Yeah, I think in terms of finances, we have a lot of opportunity to grow as a uh-huh. team. I am our finance team. Uh-huh. <laughs> so there you are. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I am definitely not skilled enough to uh-huh. manage open book leadership, um, yeah. but I'm yeah. interested in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's the kind of thing that aligns really well with your culture, right? The culture yeah. that you're creating around leadership and, and, um, and it, it just might be something to look into for you because um, it is kind of the next level when you're trying to um, create a culture of empowerment like you are. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, Ari at Zimmerman's says that, um, you know, the, the, it has materially changed the financial performance and the feeling of engagement of people to have that openness to the financial side of the business and it requires a lot of training too like you can't um you know you give somebody a financial statement they don't know what a financial you know what I mean it's like you in the beginning of your business you had no idea probably um most people don't (laughs) yeah 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 so it's a lot it's a big commitment to do that you know but but I I tell people most of the people who start food companies they don't Um, if you want to make a lot of money, if that's what, what motivates you, typically you're not starting a food company and especially in the Bay area, you're going to start a technology company, right? So, so it's just not where people are, heads are usually, but clearly your business has been around for a while and it's grown quite a bit. So there's some, there's probably some good instincts in you. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that, that would be my guess. Yeah. So, so, um, what do you see in the future? Do you think you are going to go back to this idea of having the, you know, cafe where you can come and have coffee and toast or tea and toast? Is that still, you think that's still relevant or what do you think for the future? Uh, yeah, that's such a hard one because, you know, I just see how much the restaurant and hospitality industry is like hurting right now. Yeah. Um, and so I, it feels kind of cocky to say like, well, we're going to do that in a couple of years. Um, so I feel like I have, I have a lot to learn and a lot of people that need to be listened to before I can say whether that's a good idea for us or not. Um, but I do think our team, you know, loved the idea of having the pop-up and I think our customers would love it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but maybe it's more of a, a tiny project than we were originally planning. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and do you think that, um, is, is selling online now, like developing that whole channel, a bigger priority for you? Maintaining that channel is definitely a priority, um, which is also tricky. We're part of the Stop Hate for Profit campaign, which is mm-hmm. withdrawing all um, advertising funds from Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there is no growth there. And we're, you know, planning to commit to that until the campaign tells us to stop. Um, yeah. So that could be that could be a long time. Um so that's that's an interesting one, but we we do still advertise with Google, um, and that you know our campaigns are pretty well dialed, mm-hmm. and our word of mouth referrals are um, still like the major way that we yeah. reach new customers. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Talk talk to us some more about that campaign because I I think there's more there are more and more business 
brands that are trying to figure out like how can we navigate in this world that that you know uh, how can we keep supporting Facebook like practically speaking right and you see the big brands pulling out and and now the small brands are trying to figure out how to do it yeah, it's really interesting. I don't know all the details, um, and this is something that our sales and marketing team decided to ask for, um, mm-hmm. which I'm super proud of them for, yeah, <laughs> for being able like to it. lead with their values as well. Um, but the, you know, the I guess the logistical summary is that a bunch of big brands got together and pulled their advertising funds from Facebook, mm-hmm. but it's actually the small and medium brands that make up the majority of Facebook's revenue. Right. And so that's an interesting twist where normally yeah, I'd be like, oh, we're so tiny. What can we do? But mm-hmm. it actually is the tiny folks who are going to to make that impact. Um, so I feel, you know, 100% confident in our support of that campaign to kind of help other small businesses see like Mm -hmm. it's okay it's okay to like not get that ad um those conversions for a couple months and Mm -hmm. again that's coming from a place of privilege where we can we can afford to not acquire those customers for a while Mm -hmm. um and not everyone can do that but I think everyone who can should be exercising that privilege in mm-hmm. making values line decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No. So this is a, this is a campaign to, um, or to, I'm going to use the word organize for the lack of a better word, but um, to organize business leaders who are kind of like-minded to you to try to, um, and our smaller businesses to try to, um, to make a statement Um I think so. Although I, uh, I like to uh, steer away from the term like-minded because I think we we need a diversity of ideas right now. Yeah, so okay. I like to say values aligned. Okay. Yeah, values aligned. That's that's good. That's better. So values aligned people, and and um, it'll be interesting to see how much your sales, how much it affects your sales. Like it might, it might actually be positive. It's it, not going to make a big dent either way. So yeah, 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 I'm not worried about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, sometimes being more folk, like, because these are like-minded folks and with like value, not like-minded, but like similar <laughs> values, I got to ch- change it again. Um, the um, values aligned folks, um, they will find those, those are better customers for you anyway. Right. So, so instead of, you know, and I'm sure you're trying to target and everything else on Facebook, but you're but you're really getting at the folks who will be values aligned when you do this. I hope so. And yeah. you, you know, we we did have a conversation um, a couple weeks ago. You know, we we posted a statement about anti-racism and our commitment. You know, we got like zero engagement on any posts about right. that. Um, so we were having the conversation, do we need to be changing our target customer to someone mm-hmm. who will, res- you know, engage with these posts or do we need to be writing posts that will engage people who wouldn't otherwise engage, which mm-hmm. seems to have a much bigger impact, even though it's a bigger challenge. Right. Right. It is interesting, right? On social media, we speak to ourselves all the time. We don't leave our bubble, right? Yeah. That's what happens. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it, and for a business, you know, it's an interesting thing to be thinking about, right? It'll be, 
you can communicate to people who are outside of your bubble, but it typically costs more, right? Like whatever channel of communication or time or, you know what I'm saying? It just takes longer. So it costs more. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think one of the, one of the things that felt empowering to our team was that if we can reach the customer who wouldn't be engaging in any anti-racism work or learning, mm -hmm. and we can engage them because we have a connection with them through Bread Seriously, then that is a powerful yeah. conversation to have. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it's a, it's a conversation that's taking you out of the bubble, right? So that's awesome. Yeah, I think I, think I, um, I just responded to something for um, New Hope Media about what's going on with investors during COVID and, and one of the, and they asked a question about um, the importance of, I think they use the word like mission, mission focus or something, something mm -hmm. like that. And I said, I think, I think COVID and, and the, and, you know, the, the protests around the country are, are just, creating an opportunity that is more powerful than ever for brands to stand for something. Right. And absolutely. To, yeah. And, and uh, there's a plethora of opportunities to stand for something right now, I think. And that, um, and it, and if brands do that, then um, food is a powerful way to reach people. Yeah, so. yeah, I think the challenge that brands are finding if they didn't already have clarity on their mission or their values or their purpose is how to do that authentically. Exactly. And how, to, how to keep really incorporated in what they do. You know, we use our values totally. as decision-making tools. Right. And that is not, maybe not obvious. Right. And, and I, uh, it's so great you said that because I had different words for that, but I said something like it's, it's there are plethora of opportunities and you have to, you can't just say something, you have to live it, right? Because yeah. investors in due diligence or customers, they're going to figure this out in a heartbeat, right? If you're, if yes. you're saying one thing and doing something else. So employees too, employees. Oh, totally. You know, if, They'll know if immediately. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's why there there's so much cynicism out there, right? That the people, business leaders say they're gonna they you know say we care about diversity, and then you know there's not a single woman on their management team, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, and you are because you have this culture that you have built. Um, this is an easy thing for you, right? It's a empowering time in a way for you. Yeah, I really enjoy engaging in this way and leading in this way. That's awesome. And I bet your employees do too. I think so. It's, um, it's, it's, I've been working from home a lot during uh, COVID and I just started working on site again this week. And mm -hmm. it's like everybody's smiling, everybody's chatting, everybody's appreciating you know we oh. we start meetings with rounds of appreciations and just that stuff is palpable as our uh as our culture right and and it's in a meta culture that is the antithesis of that right yeah, yeah. so what a breath of fresh air for everybody to come to work yeah that's awesome it's awesome so so working on um, your digital, definitely, you know, 
it sounds like digital was important to you in the past, um, but now it's just became more important and probably not going to go back to where we were, right? I don't suspect that. I don't think so. I think, um, you know, people talk a lot about like how long it takes people to change habits and it's not very long. I, I think online shopping is definitely sneaking around. I'm personally, <laughs> I buy everything online. Now. Yeah. Isn't that something um, like, it's great. I mean, I like being like, Oh, I want to support this brand. Let me go see where I can buy it. Online. Right. Right. That's just like a habit yeah, now. Yeah. So yeah. one of the challenges our team is um, Nicole on our marketing team is trying to champion over here is figuring out how to, except EBT, um, which is kind of a horrible process. Um, So we're we're deep in learning about that, but it sounds like um, Walmart and Amazon are the only businesses authorized to take EBT online. Um, And so that with COVID is feeling like a big, a big fight for us all to be joining to figure out how to, how to provide access to people uh, getting healthy food without them right. having to put their health at risk going in person. Yeah. And you know that I, I know that um, farmers markets around the country have fought that battle and they've won. Um, yes. So that might be, they, there might be some folks in that world who have advice on how to fight the fight. Cause I, I know it was a chore. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we've covered a lot. Um, yeah. Have we missed anything, do you think? Oh, I'm sure we've missed thousands, thousands of things. Thousands of things, yeah. <laughs> no, of course. There's so much to talk about. I mean, I, I, I got to tell you, so my son, um, I, I, get, I happened to give um, my kids a sourdough starter kit for Christmas. Um, and my son, during COVID, just became this maniac about sourdough bread baking. <laughs> it's so amazing. So, and he said one of his best friends who lives in the Bay Area is also doing it too. Like, have you seen that? That people are. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. We put out a whole video series of like how to start a sourdough starter from scratch and how to care for it and how to make pizza dough with it. Um, and then, sort of, as. Uh, yeah, as the climate shifted <laughs> over March and April and May, I just had no more time or energy to devote to making those videos. Right. They were fun, and it was like I need to be right. I need to be looking a little more inward these days and not right. you know putting out pancake recipes. Right, 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 right. Yeah, no, I get it. It's just it's just been an interesting thing, and I think that is elevated sourdough too, right? Like definitely. Yeah. Yeah, just and the whole health benefits of it. So I, yeah, the the future for your business, like, is I mean, you you've done so much work to build up a a strong organizational culture and wonderful products and and you know interest in sourdough, like Katie bar the door, right? <laughs> Do you ever worry about growing too much? All the time, yeah. Um, I think that's actually been. Uh, not with our customers necessarily, but with, you know, with our buyers and with investors who know us, like uh-huh. kind of part of our brand is that we grow slowly. Uh-huh. 
So I had a really nice swim and I pitched at the Naturally Barry at Pitch Slam in January. And uh-huh. during the Q&A, you know, I was pitching for a $150,000 loan. Right. <laughs> and during right. the Q&A, you know, she's the like, why like, don't you take $4 million, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I said, I don't, I don't need that. Like, I, that is not what I need and that is not what I want. And good for you. Um, that <laughs> I got like a standing ovation for that. It was amazing. Oh, how awesome. <laughs> so I think it just, you know, it takes bravery to say like everybody else can have $4 million. That's not right for our team. Right, right. <laughs> it does. In your culture, wait, you, you would fit really well out here because around here, everybody feels way more comfortable with people who say, I need $150,000 because I need <laughs> to buy these pieces of equipment. And yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are you are you running out of space? Physical space, absolutely. Physical space. We have we have um, we have two kitchens. We have an office. We have a break room, and we have an order fulfillment unit. Mm-hmm. And you know, someday we'll all be under one roof, but we're oh. in two different buildings. Oh and boy! All of these are different suites. You know, it's it's very disjointed, and we just kind of piecemeal stuff together. Um, so. The, the next like physical space for us is definitely going to be hopefully like a 10,000 square foot warehouse right. um, somewhere in the Bay Area. Right. So well, we, we run no, out of space constantly. Well, con- um, COVID may make space more um, more available in your yeah. neck of the woods. Because I know just finding space was hard and then the, the, um, how much you had to pay for it was crazy. Yes. Hopefully we wouldn't have to pay anything more than we're paying now because mm-hmm. we have such small units that the square price per square foot is uh, rather high. Right, um, right. But it yeah. was definitely hard to find anything before. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, good or bad, um, that may change. So, yeah. 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 So next steps are, are getting you under one roof and maybe some more equipment, it sounds like. Yes, um, I've got. We haven't really been um, developing products. I, the last time we launched a new product was like five years ago. So we're in the middle of launching a new product mm-hmm. now. And now that I'm back in the kitchen developing recipes, I'm like, oh, right, this is where I need to be spending like a yeah. lot of time because um, I've got plenty of product ideas. So that feels like a an area for growth that has been dormant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. So so that and just the digital thing cuz you can reach almost the whole country with 2-day shipping. Yes. So, yeah, it's kind of like Katie bar the door in a way. So, we've got to stay in touch to to learn about, you know, sort of check in cuz I feel like, you know, you haven't used the word social enterprise about yourself, but you're one of these people <laughs> who has built one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I don't think of myself that way, but I um, yeah, of the the like degree that. of mission and and um, values, commitment, and things. I I um, I think a lot of people aspire. They say they want to build a. They call it a you know social enterprise, and they want to have that. And um, somehow they get derailed along the way. And here you are. Don't, you don't even use the words, and it's clear that that's what you've done. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's Thank terrific. you. Yeah, I think one of the things that helped us get a lot of clarity was just like a month or two ago, we, we had written a purpose statement as a team. Mm. And because we had sort of, you know, 
I knew that leadership was a passion and like leading with empathy was part of our culture. But, you know, we also knew that like we should be looking at, you know, more sustainable equipment. And mm-hmm. like we were sort of pulled in these different directions. Of course. Like what is a social enterprise? What what defines it? And yeah. do we actually fit? Yeah. And that that felt more like fitting ourselves into a, someone else's definition. Mm-hmm. Um, and writing the purpose statement was really empowering to just say, this is what we value. This is what we stand for. This is what we practice. Mm-hmm. And if it turns out that that fits in the social enterprise box, that's great. Right, but it right. felt very true, feels very true to who we are. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you are very aligned. Um, so that's terrific and very powerful. I bet you have very little turnover on your team. Um, we've come from a very high turnover team and we've, we are heading toward a very low turnover team. Okay, good. I mean, as I said before, um, uh, we don't come, a lot of people don't come from a culture where feeling this empowered is necessarily feels comfortable, right? So definitely. Yeah. Sometimes you have turnover when you start down a road like this, but then once you're there, yeah, like like Zingerman's, who's been doing this for many years, has very low turnover as a general rule, right? They still yeah. have some, but yeah. Awesome. Well, it's been wonderful to talk to you and learn more about your business. I've had a really good time. Thanks yeah. for the opportunity. Yeah, and um, we'll stay in touch. Awesome. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.